0: Today, we are beginning an important, critical, and incredibly challenge, challenging series. We are having a series called Untouchables. We're going to look at a biblical perspective on the, probably the fourth month, most controversial issues in America today. The issue of abortion, the issue of homosexuality, the, issue, the whole issue of transgender, the whole issue of c- critical race theory. And uh, this, is, this is a unique series. God put this on my heart a year ago. I've been praying for a year uh, for this series. I've been studying for this for months because it's so vitally important uh, to, to understand. Um, not, not, we, we know what our culture says, but what does God say? And, and so if you're new to Grace Point, we, 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 we don't shy away from difficult issues. Uh, we teach from the Bible, we do book studies, we do topical s- studies, series studies. This has been a unique. But um, the reason why I, I'm so passionate about this is because I just look at the demographics of our church, I'm, I'm passionate for the church in America, but Grace Point Church, those in the room are watching online, there's all sorts of you know, people at different points of the faith spectrum. We we have people that come every Sunday, and I, I love this that have no faith in Jesus. They don't, they're not a follower of Jesus, um, but you know they're just being a good spouse or a friend, or or maybe God is drawing them. They're just they wonder what's going on. So we have no faith to decades of faith and following Jesus, and then everyone in between. And in all four of these issues, we're not all on the same spot, and, and and that's that's fine. That that's what makes this issue these issues challenging and I, I fully realize I'm walking into a cultural minefield. That's why I've been asking for a prayer. I, I'm not afraid, but I'm I'm passionate that that God would speak to any one of us, all of us. And I, I'm I'm really concerned for all age demographics. I'm seeing our, our student ministries Really explode, I'm seeing constantly um, God's bringing you know single military, young military couples, families, uh, you know all generations, grandparents. God is bringing more and more people from every age and ethnicity to Grace Point, and I praise God for that. So understand that this is going to be a challenging series, and I, I would encourage you is, I really encourage you that if you disagree. And maybe you disagree strongly that you would listen to the the whole the whole message today, and, and this goes for the other weeks included. I, I, I have a burden for this question for every single one of us. Here's the question: How do you determine right and wrong? We all make judgment calls. So how do you, Determine right and wrong. Here's different layers of how we, we process that, how we respond to, here's an issue. And we first think, we, we first say, well, I think this about it. I think this is right. I think this is wrong. Then there's another layer of more passion is, this is how I feel. I feel that's wrong. I feel that's Right? And the emotion triggers the next reaction of, and I don't understand why everybody doesn't agree with me because I feel so strongly. Then the third layer is, well, I believe this. I believe this is right for this reason. I believe this is wrong for that reason. So ask the question, how do you determine right for wrong? I'm going to bring this up every single week because not everybody comes every week and there's new people all the time. But I'm going to ask you a second question, whether you think, feel, believe. My second question to this is, well, yes, but based on what? What are you basing your thought process? What are you basing your feelings on? What is your basis for what you say you believe? There's been a recent uh, national study from Arizona of, of Americans and what contributes or what Influences their decision-making process with with difficult issues, and the national survey said that Americans today are making decisions, making decisions based upon how they feel, their own personal experiences, and what their friends and family think. That, that's a, a high percentage of Americans that okay, based upon the, whatever issue is thrown at us. Well, I I, I make. A determination based upon what I feel, what what I've had in my own personal life and experience, and what do my friends and family think. And so my advice is there's a wise answer to that question, how do I determine right from wrong? I think the wise advice is this. It's based upon an objective standard of truth. An objective standard of truth. An objective means there's no bias, there's no emotion, there's it's not changing, it is what it is. And an objective standard of truth um, it is the basis of determining right or wrong regardless of any issue. Now, I think that I weigh the weight, the weight that I graduated from high school with. I, I think I still weigh 150 pounds. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Don't judge me. You know what? I feel, I feel I I weigh 150 pounds. You know what? I believe it. (laughs) Then when I go to the doctor's office and they say, stand on this, the older I get, I'm like, no, I don't want to stand on that. (laughs) you stand on a waist scale. It's like, well, I think I weigh this. And you, okay. Oh, maybe this one. Okay, that's 150, and now, oh Lord, maybe if I take out my phone, wait a second, what what is going on here? I I think I'm going to need to start a diet. This weigh scale doesn't care what I think. It doesn't care what I feel. It doesn't care what I believe. Because it's an objective standard of truth. <laughs> and that's why we avoid it. Don't make me feel guilty. That's in, the, that's in American DNA right now. Don't you dare make me feel guilty. guilty. So we'll avoid the weigh scale at all cost. Uh, your team's playing my team. And we both think, well, my team's better than yours. I got stats to prove it. I feel my team is gonna beat you in this game. I believe it. I'm wearing the colors. I'm committed. And there's an objective standard of truth and it's not stats. It's a scoreboard. And when it's zero, you know, dot zero zero, it doesn't care what you think, feel, or believe, doesn't care really about the stats For that game, it determines who's the better team on that day. And as a culture, we don't want objective truth anymore, and it's been that way for a number of decades. And when there is no objective standard of truth, there is confusion and chaos. Let me introduce you to America 2022. Confusion and chaos chaos on all sorts of issues and the issues that we're going to talk about in this series i'm going to share with you my objective standard of truth it's called the word of god you're like oh, you're supposed to say that you're a pastor you would be surprised of how many pastors in america today do not have an objective standard of truth being the word of god okay so that, don't don't assume that but I'm going to share with you what, I, what, I, what is my objective standard of truth, and it's the Word of God. And you may say, well, I, I don't believe the Word of God. And there's a lot of people who have that opinion. Well, I don't, you can believe whatever you want, Barry. I don't believe the Word of God. Okay, well, you're going to base your decision of right or wrong based upon something. I'm just at least telling you what I'm basing it on is this is objective standard of truth. Now, I'm going to share briefly... I won't do this in all four Sundays, but I'll refer to it, that the word of God, I have faith that the Bible is indeed the word of God. Now, there's different layers of, or just aspects of faith. The first one is having an unreasonable faith, having an unreasonable faith. You know, I have faith, you know, people are like, I have faith in, in the word of God in spite of the evidence. I don't really care about the evidence. I don't care to learn it. I don't care to go to a class, fusion class about it. But I just have faith. Well, you know what? That's an unreasonable faith. Then there's blind faith. Well, I just have faith when there's no evidence. I'm 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 just I'm just going to trust it. There's there's no evidence. Well, that's a blind faith. But there is a reasonable faith, and it's faith because of evidence. So I'm going brief, to briefly share with you why I hold the bible as the objective standard of truth that it is the word of god based upon a reasonable faith that there is evidence now, i don't have this in your notes it's free of charge <laughs> but you can write as fast as you can or you can re-watch this and take this if you're interested but having a reasonable faith first of all there is a thing called empirical evidence empirical evidence and and just, this happens all the time with literature, especially ancient literature. And the the Word of God is ancient literature. I mean, it goes back thousands and thousands, thousands of years. All right, but but theologians and PhDs and people that don't have any faith they they have this this standard that they put ancient pieces of literature through. All right, about the histori- you know, historical measuring stick and how, how well was that piece of literature cared for and preserved and duplicated and copied. And, and we're talking about Aristotle. We're talking you know, about, you know, you know I- Iliad and the Odyssey. and We're talking ancient pieces of literature. The word of God is put through the same standard. And, and the word of God is proven by even people that don't even believe in God that the scriptures, the ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament and the New Testament are the top of the class for ancient literature, empirical evidence. All right, and then there's, there's external evidence, external e- evidence. Time and time again in the Bible, it talks about a specific person having a specific title in a specific city or town or village. And over the centuries, you know, skeptics are going, this person never existed. This is just made up stories And, and that town we can't even find that town. I don't think that town ever existed. And who had that title? But then this thing called archaeology showed up you know a couple hundred years ago. And time and time again, archaeologists, and they're not all Christian archaeologists, found, oh wait a second, that person actually did exist. Oh, this coin says he has a title, and this is the town. It actually existed. I'm telling you, this has happened over and over and over, hundreds and hundreds of times through the empirical evidence of archaeology. Now, the Bible is one quarter, 25%, those of you who don't like math, 25% of the Bible is prophecy. God saying this is going to happen. A a prophet of God saying God said that this is going to happen. Of the prophecies, two-thirds, actually over two-thirds of the biblical prophe- prophecies have actually happened to the letter of the prophecy. I mean, this is just to the full extent. Now, the mathematical odds of that, percentage of that is impossible. But if God says, this is my word, and I am truthful, and I will not change, and my word will last forever, and that these things are true... And God also says in his word that with God, all things are possible. And God, if he's all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants to do in making all the prophecies come true according to scripture. That's external evidence. Then there's internal evidence. There's internal evidence. The word of God, Bible that I hold in my hand, these are copies, not the original manuscripts. But the original manuscripts consisted of 45 different authors with all different backgrounds. You know, some poor, some a king. You know, some a carpenter, <laughs> some a, 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 you know, fisherman. And, and 45 different authors from different backgrounds. And they wrote all the letters and all the books over a course of 1,500 years on three continents using three different languages. That is, that is chaos to put together a Bible that would make any sense. But the Bible with 45 different authors from all different backgrounds over a course of 1,500 years on three continents with three different languages has one central consistent theme. It's the redemptive plan of God pursuing man to save him and to set him free from sin. See, only God could comprise the complexity and make it clear. That's internal evidence. Then there's anecdotal evidence. Anecdotal evidence that there's power and there's life change that takes place when an individual or a family or a culture believes the Bible and applies it. Bible says this is powerful. But then when you see anecdotal evidences of people who were completely broken and then they meet Jesus in the Bible and their life is completely changed and marriages are reconciled, families are restored. They go from darkness, dominion of darkness, Colossians says, to entering the kingdom of light of Jesus Christ. There is absolute life change that makes no human sense but there's power in the word of God and people's lives have been changed cultures when they adopt biblical principles they are blessed businesses that don't even know Jesus but they apply biblical business principles and their business is blessed there's something powerful about this thing called the word of God and so because of those reasons I say with absolute confidence and there's things in here I'm like I don't know what's going on here and I got a whole list of questions for God when I get to heaven Like, what the heck was that, you know? I have all that, but based upon all this evidence and seeing and experiencing a lot of that, that's why I say with absolute confidence that my objective standard of truth with the four issues we're dealing with and really life in general is the Word of God. Now, what that's called is a biblical worldview, that I take whatever issue and I filter it First, that's critical, first through what does God's word say. And make sure you're in context and you're reading things accurately because we can twist scripture to say whatever the heck we want it to say. But I take whatever issue, put it through the word of God, and out from the word of God, then there's, okay, this is this is the decision, whether it's right or wrong. The latest survey of Americans, American Christians that only 6% have a biblical world view. So, uh, so you may agree or disagree with what I'm going to say today or if you watch or, or you heard for any of the four weeks. And that's fine. But at least you'll know where I'm coming from and, and my source for, for the answers. And I want to challenge you if you say you're a follower of Jesus that you will really look in the mirror and ask yourself a question. Do I have a biblical worldview? Do I filter all that I... I'm not talking a political worldview or a cultural worldview. But ask yourself and really be honest, do I have a biblical worldview? And the, the reason why we're doing this series is because I am greatly concerned for our teenagers, our singles, our military couples, our you know, parents and grandparents... Because even in this room and those watching online, the percentage who have a biblical worldview is astonishingly small. And so that's why we're having this series. And that's why I need your prayer. Because we're gonna to start today with a very sensitive topic called abortion. You're not gonna hear my politics. With this issue, it is not a political position for me. But it's sensitive because there are those in our presence or those watching our line who have had an abortion. Or you have encouraged one or even paid for one. As a friend, as a boyfriend, as a spouse, as a parent, you've encouraged or paid for one. I'm not judging you. That is way above my pay grade. I am just the messenger to hopefully show you from God's word what he says. Now, for those of you, this is going to be challenging, i challenge you as much as possible. Listen to the whole thing today. But God loves you. If you made that decision and there's, it was because of fear or lack of finances, you were panicked, you got pressured, whatever the reason, God loves you. And God forgives every sin and he's he's waiting with open arms like that prodigal son's father looking some of you have been carrying this weight what I don't want you to do is walk out that door still carrying it again not everyone's going to agree with what I'm going to say and that's fine I pray that you would hear hear me um, this issue is one of the most emotionally charged because on both sides pro life pro choice there's marches you know a- a- and emotion there are states that have changed their laws in the last decade or two that um, abortion could be all the way up to the moment before birth to abort that that child at the wishes of the mother. There's several states just recently this year have passed legislation to say that if there's a heartbeat detected any any abortion past that is banned. That has now gone, most of you know this, gone to the Supreme Court that is probably, that is the most passionate issue they're going to face by the end of June they'll make their decision and whatever point they land, there will be emotion on both sides. I, I get that. Here's some questions and debates over the decades. Well, when does life begin? There's some who have a quick answer to that, and there's some like, I don't think I want to answer that question, and they want to change the subject. When does life begin? Another question and I'll explain why this is happening more and more is uh, when does it become human? At conception? At the heartbeat? At birth? I'll come back to that. When does it become human? Uh, in the 70s and 80s, middle school, high school years, uh, then in the early college, early 80s, the, the, the phrase I heard a lot was that's not a baby, it's just a, and the quote was, a clump of tissue. Clump of tissue. Uh, technology ha- has quieted that phrase. I will share with you some pictures, detailed pictures, real pictures inside the womb. I mean, they can do surgery in the womb. The technology is incredible these days. Well, the technology has actually helped had, had have had certain questions, just like we're not going to go there anymore because technology has made that mute. There's phrases today of it's my body it's my choice there's opinions that abortion is morally wrong that abortion is the taking of innocent life there's positions that that abortion is a universal women's rights there's a position that abortion is a health care issue now back to the human part there's a new theory that's gaining massive traction in this conversation debate some of you are going to hear this for the very first time, done research and read what they're presenting and why and when it comes to this whole issue of abortion there's this thing called a the personhood theory that is kind of rising up through the ranks, personhood theory, the conclusion of a personhood theory that is being projected into this debate is well Just because it's human doesn't make it a person. That a human is different than a person. Now, I'm I'm old school, simple-minded. I always thought those were two together, but the same coin. But that issue, as well as other definitions on different topics, has been separated. And that's one of the ones that, okay, well, if it's a human, that doesn't make it a person. And then there's debate about what to do next. Let me move forward with the central point and give some examples. Here's the central point, and I strategically put the first three words on purpose. With this issue, according to Scripture, you should not care at all about what, according to Barry. That is irrelevant. But according to Scripture, God creates, God crafts, And God assigns value and purpose for every baby in the womb. According to scripture, God creates, God crafts, and God assigns value and purpose to every baby in the womb. Now, let's take a look of why I gave you that statement. We're going to begin, and usually I have you turn turn to a passage, and we walk through it. Or I teach, and then put a few verses up. Um, I, I want this is unique because I'm going to want to teach a little bit about every single verse. And when I want to teach about it, I want to unpack it. I put it on the TV. But you might want to write these passages down to do your own research if you disagree, or that may, this may be helpful for you as you process of how you're going to respond to a friend, a parent, a coworker, or whatever. Let's go to Genesis. Go to the the start, all right, When start of all this. Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. Now, if you're new to Bible study, when God says one some, something once, he's God, you should listen. When he repeats himself twice, you better pay attention. But when he says it three times in one verse, he is making an emphatic as statement as clear as possible. you We all best pay a lot of attention. And in one verse he repeats. He created, he created, he created. He told Moses to write this down. And twice he says, and I created in the image of, I created mankind in the image of God. In the book of Job, Job is is, is referring back to God. He says, did you not clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life. Back up to that. You gave me life and showed me kindness, and in your providence, watched over my spirit. A little later in the book, book of Job. Having a, he's having a debate. He says, did not he, referring to God, did not he who made me in the womb make them, mean, the other person that he's debating with, did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Then there's Jeremiah chapter 1, the prophet Jeremiah. God is speaking directly to Jeremiah. And he tells Jeremiah this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I mean, this verse says a whole lot that I formed you. And Before I even got started with you, I knew you. And before you were born, before you came out, I had already set you apart and I appointed you in the direction that I wanted you to go. Because I made you to fit that role. I made you to fit that role. According to scripture, God creates, crafts, and assigns value and purpose in every baby in the room, womb. Now, what I'm going to do is walk through a couple of verses that are probably the most intimate verses describing what God is doing inside the mother's womb. Because it is so intimate and so detailed, I found real pictures, detailed pictures of what's going on in the womb. Some starting when there's this much of a baby being crafted by God. Some of them before the mother even knows that they're pregnant. Psalm 139. For you, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The thought of that, David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if you're in middle school, fearfully doesn't mean scary. It means wow, sense of awe that God made every single one of us with awe of reverence, fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Can't see these pictures very clear. You can find them online. And, and, and you see fingernails. You see fingerprints. You see eyelashes forming, although the slit has not been opened yet. Verse 16. He says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before. One of them came to be. Now, Scripture says that God has numbered all of our days. God knows when the last day on earth will be for us and how many numbers that will be. A lot of you have been praying for my mom. Her days on earth are getting very, very short. But at the beginning, God has ordained every day. And I love this intimate thing. David, inspired by God, saying, and you wrote in your book about my days before one of them came to be see according to scripture God creates God is the author of life and I believe it happens at conception because there was no activity going on all of a sudden Something happens. It happens. God is the author of that life, and God crafts all that verses about knitting together. He's knitting together, starting with our DNA. DNA is one of the coolest things. All right, I'm going to take some aspects of the mommy. I'm going to take some aspects of the daddy. I'm going to, I'm going to take something from Aunt Bonnie, in the family, and like, how did that happen? Have you seen that? You know. How'd that get in my child? That's my that's my sister. Even the weird stuff. I'm gonna uh, God's crafting personality. God's crafting height. God's crafting, you know, hair design and if it's curly or straight. God's c- 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 crafting ability and intellect and, and all that crafting, right? And and He assigns value. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. According to scripture, Jesus in Colossians is the creator. And and on on a separate deal, God created animals, and it's an offense to Jesus himself to say we're part of the animal world. Now, we act like animals sometimes, but we are made. The animals weren't made in the image of God. Human beings were. And that gives us incredible value. And he also assigns purpose. That I'm, I'm going I'm to wire you in such a way that you're going to have the ability to do public speaking, which most of the world says, heck no. But to someone who's been gifted by God, it's like, what's the problem? But God assigned purpose. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you with an, an engineer mind because I want you to design things. He did not give me that. Everybody's different, but it came from God, purpose, and that's for every single baby in the womb. And if my note takers are getting nervous, I haven't forgotten the last two points. This one's important, though. Just because something is legal does not make it right or biblical. Was, you can answer this question. Was slavery wrong? Absolutely. But it was legal. I'm very thankful for the abolitionists. A lot of them were believers, pastors. Something Just because something is legal doesn't make it right or biblical. The Roe Wade decision in 1973, according to to an objective standard of truth called the word of God was a wrong and unbiblical precedent. It is not a political statement. It is a scriptural based statement. Second point on the notes there is the devaluation of life undermines all morality. Everything flows down. And where we're devaluing life inside the womb, that will continue throughout every stage. And the devaluation of humans. And if you notice the disrespect has just plummeted. If you notice the the rancor has plummeted. There's a disrespect for people and races and, and people that you disagree with. We're devaluation of life at, at, in the womb is going to just continue all on down and now it's like we devalue end of life like wait a second, you're too old to have that decision That's, you know, even though they have money and they want it like I'm 95, I want this surgery no there, there, there's policies in our country That's a, that all comes back from devaluing life in the womb now based upon scripture I'm going to close out with a few things It is a human life that God is developing in the womb. And any human who circumvents God in his rightful position in the womb and the authority that God has, any human being for whatever reasons removes that life, it's an offense to God, the author of life. The issue is not a woman's body. The issue is the human life inside her body. Because God in his creation, it's a miracle, birth is a miracle. That God, God in his sovereignty and his planning can say, I, I can still take care of the mama at the same time I take care of this baby. Baby's gonna get all good stuff first. But those are two different lives. And the last thing is, especially those of you who have been down that abortion path, or if you encourage somebody, abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Some people have been told that. God forgives every single sin. And God loves you. And here's what I believe. Based upon Scripture, based upon the words of King David, when he lost a child, the child never lived, Never got to, He never got to enjoy that son. And he said this, he cannot come to me, but I can go to him one day. That if you're a follower of Jesus, if you made that, that difficult decision, and, and it was not a biblical one, but you know what? God is bigger than that and more loving than that, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to be some amazing reunions in heaven you'll see your daughter or son for the first time because that's our heavenly father and there's freedom with that so don't allow Satan to keep dragging around guilt and beating you up because that is not from God you come to God and say would you forgive me for that it happened recently or a long time ago I am faithful and just to forgive you of sin and clean it up you're my daughter I love you That's the heart of our Heavenly Father based upon Scripture. And so many people have a warped warped view of our Heavenly Father. But I just am compelled because of everyone's in so many different places in our, in our own church. I pray that you heard my heart, but more importantly, more importantly, I pray that you heard from the Word of God today. Will you pray with me? God, uh, you know those in this room or those watching online that have stayed on, stayed watching. I, and you know that those who, this has been really painful. And they they have, they have memories, they have regrets. And, and Lord, Satan's got a foothold of guilt in their life that they've been dragging around. I pray that if they haven't yet asked for forgiveness, they will ask you for forgiveness. And I pray that you would free them from a bondage of guilt and that they would see if that relationship with you that they would they would they would see your your creation once in heaven I pray that you would help them to lift their head and begin to live without that bondage without that chain of guilt because that's the kind of savior you are God I pray that you'd heal them I pray that you heal our land in so many ways our land is just completely not only avoided you, but we have legislated you out of our country in so many places and you've backed off and we're paying the price. I pray that you heal our land. God, I pray that for those who have heard this and they've disagreed, I pray that you would help them process um, through maybe your word or or that you would just let them, that you would help them process this. And I ask for your protection and continued blessing because the aim Every Sunday, but especially on these Sundays, is to teach your truth with an overflowing amount of grace. We pray for all this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you're our guest today, um, thank you for coming. Um, I pray that, that you would just at least visit a church about four times and really get a heartbeat of it if you're our guest today, um, please go to our guest services so that you can uh, receive a gift. We just want to say thank you. We want every single one, including our guests, uh, high school and above, to fill out one of these um, surveys. Uh, if you haven't gotten one, they're at the door. But if you filled it out, pick your side. There's two sides. We just want to find out what the demographic is. It's changing a lot, who's coming and, and why. That would be a blessing to us. So if you filled it out last week, please don't fill out another one. Don't mess with our math. Um, and lastly, if, if we saw a video at the beginning, if you have, maybe God would want you to open your house for a foreign exchange uh, student for the month of July. There's a table in the, the lobby to find out more. Thank you for coming. God, give you a blessed day. Take care.